This is Disrupting Recruitment, a podcast focused on moving recruitment from a reactive to a proactive state. We talk to experts as well as recruitment marketers living it day to day to learn how to improve inbound as well as outbound and other recruitment marketing strategies. And it all starts now. All right, so here we are today with Tim Sackett, and we're going to be talking about a lot of things around recruitment marketing, inbound, outbound, and his opinion on a lot of things. So thanks for joining me today, Tim. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your your time. So why don't you just, I'm sure all of the listeners know who you are, but if you want to just give <laughs> us a little bit of a background about yourself and who you are and just get them up to speed. Yeah, it's doubtful. Like my wife calls me a micro celebrity, right? There's 13 like recruiting talent people, HR people in the world that know who I am. I feel honored that I'm one of them. Yeah, exactly. I'll introduce myself and then I have a funny story about that. But Tim Sackett, I'm the CEO of a staffing firm in Lansing, Michigan that actually my mother started over 40 years ago. I've been running it the last 12 years. I've owned it outright the last three years. And about about 12 years ago, when I came back to, to work with my mom and run the company, I started blogging. And so I'd worked corporate talent acquisition HR roles for a, a number of companies before that. And I was in a, a position with a health system where it was one of those where you go, I probably made the wrong choice. It's one of those jobs where you're going, ah, <laughs> okay. But then you have to put your time in, right? You can't just like jump and have that, oh, why did you only work here as an executive for three months? <laughs> And I was looking on the internet for something and I found Chris Dunn's blog, The HR Capitalist. And I was like, holy crap, this dude is writing on the internet exactly how I think and feel in our profession. And so I just sent him a note and said, hey, I think this is amazing. His website looked like a 10-year-old put it together. So I was like, I don't think anybody reads this. It was like one of those kind of like online diaries. And he immediately replied, which I always joke with him now because we're best friends, that no one apparently did read his blog because why would you reply immediately to someone (laughs) that emailed you? And he sent me his phone number and said, call me. And I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Now I got some weird stalker guy I'm going to have to have a conversation with. We talked for two straight hours and I was like, holy crap, this guy is my brother from another mother. Like we were separated at birth and we just found each other. And because we literally thought exactly the same. And so then he was like, hey, you should start writing for Fistful of Talent, which was another blog he had just started, which was multi-contributor. And I was like, I'm not a writer. I don't know if I can write. I didn't write since college. And even then I hated writing. And it turned out like I actually liked writing. It was therapy. So started blogging about our profession and like just making fun of it and then started my own blog, Tim Sackett Project. And then from that, like people, weird things happen where people invite you to go like speak at conferences and do webcasts and stuff. And they think that because you write on the internet, like you must know something. And I'm like, anybody can write on the internet. Like it's just, it's the way it is. Sherm offered me to write a book. So I did that. That was, that's been awesome. And that was another thing. Like I have... I've well over 1.5 million words written on my blog. And when everyone told me, oh, you know how to write a book, you got to write a book. And I'm like, I write all the time. I don't need to write a book. And no, you don't understand. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change your profile. And sure as shit, man, as soon as that book went, I had calls for keynote, like addresses and all this stuff all over the world. It was just dumb. And again, it makes no, it's the same thing of people thinking something because you write on the internet. And now they think more because you wrote a book and you're just like, I'm the same dude that 12 years ago started finding a blog on the internet and calling some guy from that. 
my best micro celebrity story was, have you ever been through Detroit Metro Airport? Like the new terminal for Delta? It's like a mile long, right? Not the new one, no. Yeah, so it's like a mile long and they have the moving walkways. And my wife and I, it's like a, it's like a weird, like a Tuesday at two o'clock in the afternoon. The airport's basically empty. And we're taking off for a vacation somewhere and we're just talking to each other, like going down like the walkway. And the other walkway coming at me, all of a sudden someone goes, oh my God, are you Tim Sackett? <laughs> and it happened to be an HR guy coming back to Detroit from somewhere that read my stuff. And yeah, hey, how's it going? Blah, blah, blah. I read your stuff. And my wife looked at me and she's like, oh my God, I'm not going to fit your head into the airplane. <laughs> and I'm like, I just, I'm just so happy that it happened when she was with me. So I could say one person recognized me in the world. <laughs> yeah. Cause when you got home, she'd have been like, yeah, right. exactly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's funny. I'm used to my, my dad is a, a local celebrity and he's heavy into politics and, and all that kind of stuff. And we were kids and we were in the airport in Orlando, like International Airport, one of the busiest airports in the world. And I hear somebody yell out, hey, Gary DePaulo. And I'm like, oh, God, this is too much. <laughs> I know. I realized, though, I think it's funny because I think like really big time celebrities, right? They just, they get recognized all the time. They just want to be left alone. But I think when you're like a local, like celeb or whatever, you want people, like I was at, on vacation in Florida with my family one time and the local sports guy from our town, which was like 1,200 miles away, was walking in the grocery store. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, yes, the guy. And so I went up and like, hey, I like your stuff. And he was so appreciative that someone would know him. Yeah, yeah. We've all heard the news about Hire Easy and their funding. And I've seen your commercial with them, which, which is where, very well done, by the way. And I've tried their tool. I'm a very big proponent of inbound. And when I say inbound, I don't mean posting a job on a job board and waiting for applicants to come to you. I Candidate Hub, a company that I own, we're very focused on recruitment, marketing, automation, mm -hmm. which we've been on a webinar together about that. But I'm curious on your thoughts of inbound versus outbound. And if you think maybe we really need both. I do think we need both. But quite honestly, Brad, I think you're right on. I think 90% of corporate talent acquisition hires are made from inbound. Maybe more depending on the organization. Usually it's not less for sure. So inbound is such a small amount of what we actually do corporately that you have to really think about what's the true value because whether you're looking at any of these sourcing tools like HireZ, it's, it's really heavy lifting recruiting, right? It's not easy. If you have great branding, great recruitment marketing, great job advertising, you're going to fill the majority of your positions with all that inbound. And quite frankly, corporate talent acquisition, teams are really designed and built for inbound recruiting. And here's the thing though, when I go and I talk to executives and I talk to hiring managers and we survey them and I'll say, so let's say there's two kinds of recruiting, inbound and outbound, quick explanation for them. They get it. Tell me your recruiting team, what percent do you think is, is inbound versus outbound? And they'll, they usually end up at 50, 50. 50% of our hires are outbound. Our, my recruiters are honey because here's what the corporate talent acquisition recruiter will say to a hiring manager. It's like, oh my gosh, Brad, I found somebody for you that you're going to love. And they're, in their mind, they're like, oh, you found somebody. You're out hunting. You found someone. No, they found a resume in their inbox from somebody <laughs> that came through great yeah. recruitment, marketing, branding, advertising, blah, blah, blah. And so we leave this impression with our hiring managers that we're actually going out there and scanning the marketplace for the best talent. And what we're really doing is we're just scanning the talent that is interested in us at that moment for the best one that's there. But there's no correlation that's actually the best talent. So I do believe 
that we need both. I truly believe that if I, today, if someone said, hey, Tim, come run, you know, Google talent acquisition, whatever, right? I would actually break that team up into two segments. It would be an inbound recruiting team that was focused on branding, recruitment, marketing, advertising, and really efficient, effective process to get through all of that. And then I would have a separate team, completely different measures that were only outbound recruiting. Yeah. You know what? I, I completely agree with you. And we, we see on social and all that stuff, pushing outbound or pushing inbound and Shannon and the team at Hire Easy are pushing outbound and yeah. guys like myself and Adam Gordon and <laughs> the, the crew are pushing inbound. And, and really if I was running a, a sales and marketing department, you have both. You have marketing qualified yep. leads and you have sales qualified leads. Yep. And they are two separate entities. There's yes. marketing and there's sales. And I've heard a lot of talk about how recruiting is like sales and it, it is. But if you really want it to be like sales, then you need to be going after sales qualified leads. Yeah. And, and that's outbound. I, one of my missions in life is to get recruitment from a reactive state to a proactive state. That's my mission. It's a tough hill to climb, but I'm okay with that. But there's always going to be that reactive side to it. And, and you're trying to grow your company. And, and, and so you need outbound and that's become yeah, a they, tough for me to they, say. They just don't, I, they I, just I, don't know. They, they just don't go together. You can't, because if you say to a recruiter that's in a corporate talent acquisition role, working 25 recs or whatever, to say, hey, we want you to do both. We want you to do inbound and outbound. From a capacity standpoint and really just a success standpoint, almost always they're going to go to the inbound because that's the easiest for them to actually do. I'm not saying it's easy in terms of the workload. Like you still have a ton of processing, screening, all of that was heavy lifting, but it's a lot easier than saying, I'm going to reach out to a hundred people cold, maybe get one or two or three that will actually respond to me. <laughs> And even those then, maybe we have other issues, right? So like the success ratio of outbound recruiting is such a different level than inbound that a normal corporate talent acquisition recruiter will never go and do that. When you interview them, they'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm all about sourcing and I love the hunt and outbound recruiting. They're lying to you. They, they do not. It's very rare. One out of a thousand actually likes that. The other ones are like, they'll tell you that, but then they'll just go and post and pray for the most part. Unless they're coming from an agency world, but even then a lot of them don't like oh, it. Oh yeah. Oh, and yeah. no, I, it, this is, and this is a constant trend I see. I saw this when I was running corporate talent acquisition people is, oh, I'm going to go hire hunters. I'm going to go hire agency folks. And within 90 days, the culture of corporate turns them into normal corporate recruiters. This is what it is. It's just, it, we do that to them. It's not that if we said, Hey, I'm going to hire you to do only outbound recruiting. You're measured only on these things for outbound recruiting. Then they would actually stay outbound recruiters. But we go, oh, hey, by the way, we have this big giant engine that's funneling candidates to you. And then we expect them not to use it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I spent six years in the agency world, so I, I know what it's all about. Yeah, no, I, I think we do. I think we do need to separate it. I like your idea on that. I think you need outbound measured on outbound, same as you would have account executives or SDRs in a SaaS model or a sales model. And then you have your marketing department or your recruitment marketing department, which is driving your inbound and they need to be measured differently or you, cause you get what you measure. Yep. So just out of curiosity, what do you think right now is missing in recruitment or recruitment marketing that people need to pay more attention to? I, it's funny because it's not missing, it's there, but we still have a very low adoption rate, which I'm shocked by, which is programmatic. It's amazing to me. And then even when you look at the landscape of 
hey, let's take a look at the recruitment programmatic engines that are out there. There's very few comparable to all the other tools we have. When you take a look at like Talent Tech Labs just brought out their landscape, Sarah White took out her landscape of what the talent acquisition technology kind of marketplace looks like with all the logos and different verticals. I'm shocked that programmatic is still so small. And for those, you know, that don't know what that is, it's basically just a better way to do job advertising. We still want to run to the Indeeds, the LinkedIn's, the Glassdoor's, the ZipRecruiter's and do individual postings. And again, I think part of that is culture and behavior. Our hiring managers will go, hey, did you post this on Indeed? Did you post this on LinkedIn? And they don't, they, so there's a little bit of uh, mistrust of the technology that programmatic will actually give you everybody that you thought you were going to get by doing those traditional ways and then possibly a little more for less money, right? And so there's some of that. Plus, I, I will talk to people that will test it and they'll go, Tim, like we had this super hard position to fill in like Duluth and we were looking for software engineers with blah, blah, blah. And we didn't get anybody. And you're like, yeah, because no one's there. It, programmatic can't magically make you somebody. But like in a marketplace where you're normally getting your candidates, you're going to get as many or more people for the same or less money using programmatic as you would traditional. I'm surprised that it's not 99% like kind of adoption rate or usage and it's still 15%, still super low. Which again, to me, just tells me that the technology is still a little too sophisticated and overwhelming for the normal TA leader to understand. Yeah, you know what? My One of my best friends, shout out to Darren Richard at AppCast, works in programmatic. And he and I talk about this all the time. And it's, if you're in the UK and you're working in TA and you're not using programmatic, it's like going to work without your pants on. Yeah. You just don't do it. And in here in North America, it, it's, it is a very slow adoption and I'm surprised because if I'm going to spend money on a job ad, I'm doing a programmatic because otherwise, like to me, just putting money on it, putting money on a job board is no different than putting money in a classified ad. It's Part of it, I think is it's hard because, um, most again, because we don't have a ton of, there, here's the thing is there's a ton of programmatic companies out there that do sales and marketing stuff. There's only a few that are focused on the recruitment advertising space. Of those that are out there, they're mostly focused on enterprise so that you come to them and they say, look, if you're not going to spend 5,000 a month in advertising, we don't even have, we have zero interest in speaking with you. Yes. And so that limits, that definitely limits their scope of who's going to work for them. There's some other ones out there like job ad X and stuff where I think if you are going to spend 500 or a thousand a month, you could actually do some self programmatic or, you know, stuff. Again, I keep waiting for somebody to come in the space that says, Hey, if I'm an SMB, if I'm a mid enterprise and I want to use programmatic for one position, can I just turn that on? I'm also waiting for the, for really for the ATSs to, to put this, to build this in. The only one I know that kind of have that has this built in is like Symphony Talent. And the other ones are just partnered, right? With the AppCast of the world and all the other ones that are out there. I think a lot of organizations work with recruitment, marketing, advertising firms. Mm -hmm. and who are basically using programmatic for them and then charging them 30% more, you know, for the agency side. <laughs> so it's, hey, you are getting programmatic, but you're actually paying more for it because you just don't understand that they're with the technology that they're using, right? Yeah, but at the same time, they get volume spent because they've pooling a bunch of companies. So me as a company who's an SMB who can't afford to work with an app cast of the world might be able to through that kind of thing. For which sure. Is 
definitely. Which does have a place, but I, I agree. If the ATSs, instead of just pushing out the job boards, incorporated programmatic, they would they would definitely up their game for sure. Yeah, I'm always. I was always shocked that you didn't see best of breeds or or even really the enterprise like recruiting modules. Think of the workdays, the oracles, the SAPs. They have all the enterprise players. Like, why don't you have a built-in programmatic engine for those people to say, "Hey, we need more warehouse workers at this location," and the TA person that's working that can just go boost, boost every time they hit boost. It's another five hundred dollars, whatever, and it's just more programmatic advertising getting shoved down the channel. Yeah, it's it seems like ATSs are focused on number of applicants in the pool and and then it just becomes a big reservoir of dead water and they and then they're trying to get into re- recruitment marketing and in other aspects but really where they should focus on is candidate profiles in your ATS making it easier to search them and and adding functionality like programmatic I think that would I, be a huge step yeah, forward I, for ATSs. I wouldn't even and the, in the ATS world, because we, we just talked about this inbound, outbound kind of thing, the behavior of a corporate recruiter, I wouldn't even focus on search at this point. I would put all of my eggs into the matching kind of AI-driven basket and saying, hey, how do you bubble up, constantly bubble up candidates from every time, if I'm a corporate recruiter, I put the new rec in, it gets approved, immediately the ATS should go into my database and bubble up those candidates for me that are close and even reaching out to them to get updated profiles to see if they're still interested. Like all of that should happen without me even knowing so that like with every, all of a sudden now I just, as a corporate recruiter, I'm just starting to see these people pop in with interest because, because quite frankly, we just know at this point that corporate recruiters don't search their database. They just don't do it. They don't. That's a good segue into, I want to talk about a webinar that you did a couple of a week or so ago on the recruiter experience caught my eye where there's a lot of talk about candidate experience right now, Yeah, which is extremely important, but recruiters are getting burnt out, man. And yeah, so talk to me a little bit about that webinar and, and some of the stuff you guys talked about, because definitely we could have went I, on I for two hours with I that. think you could have gone on for days. <laughs> It's funny. I had this conversation yesterday with a person who came there. They actually left corporate recruiting, came agency, and their fear forever of coming to agency was one, they didn't have enough skill to be successful. And also they had these horror stories of agency being like a grind. Oh, you just have to do outbound recruiting nonstop, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, my quality of life on agency is so much better than corporate right now. Because here's what happens. If you're a corporate recruiter, and you're under-resourced They're not because your executives have no idea about data and what's really going on. They have no idea that you could spend five to 10 times more in recruitment marketing right now and advertising just to get the same flow of candidates you got two years ago. Like they have no understanding. All they do is come to you constantly with pressure of, we have to fill this job, we have to fill this job. And they're constantly pointing the finger at talent acquisition and recruiting that you suck, you're failing, like all of this stuff. On the agency side, I might work with 100 different clients, all of who right now have openings. They're all giving me my, the openings and, and, help, and begging for help. But if I work with some of those openings and I don't do anything on others, there's no real pressure there, right, from that client to say, oh my gosh, you haven't found me anybody. You suck because they can't find anybody on their own either. And they were, just, they were shocked by how they don't feel the pressure anymore. Because when you're, you have to fill the job. Again, you, I've worked in the corporate side of talent acquisition and I've sat in those board meetings. I've sat with executives that were like, either you fill this job or these jobs 
or and figure out a plan to do it and make it happen and be successful, or we're going to bring somebody else in that can because failure is not an option. They're not going to start closing stores. They're not going to start not put, bringing product off the line to sell. This has a big financial impact. On the agency side, because there's so much work right now, you can work a lot of stuff, but no one's really on your back. It's really, it's only the pressure you put on yourself to perform. And if you find great people right now, they're instantly interviewed and hired. And so it's flip-flopped where the, the recruiter experience for agency is like really far better now than it is for corporate, which is just comical in so many aspects. And there's still people that will go, wait a minute, I can get a really great salary working corporate and I still have to work like commission salary on an agency. And that kind of not knowing is really nervous to me. But those who are in the agency world are like, there's unlimited work. You getting paid is not the issue. <laughs> if, you do, if you do any amount of work, you're going to get paid. It's the pressure is completely different. And so we see this like massive turnover and then you also see people just going, shoot, if I'm going to have pressure in corporate and have to fill all these jobs and someone's going to pay me 20000 more, 30000 more, 50000 more, they just start jumping. And so you see average, below average recruiters making salaries that they shouldn't make and, and really are unsustainable long term. And so at some point, it's, it's going to be a reckoning, right? We're going to see massive recruiter layoff kinds of stuff where someone goes, Amazon was paying me 150 to be a corporate recruiter. And then they can't find a job for 80. And that's a huge hit in the face, right? When you go, wait yeah. a minute, I, I'm, I'm taking a $70,000 pay cut. Like my life is, has supported something very different over the last couple of years. Yeah, I know. Like I said, I've lived in that agency world. And you, I find that people that work best are, are sales and are entrepreneurial mindset. The left brain recruiters, corporate recruiters of the world struggle with that. Don't have that guaranteed salary and and. I'm going to be on commission, although you can make way more money in a commission role. But anyway, so million dollar question. Do you believe there's a talent shortage? The, there's some aspects. I believe there's a talent shortage. When, I, when someone says I can't find talent, I don't believe that because in the history of the world, it's never been easier to find talent right now with the hire easies and the databases and the job boards. And every single day, it actually gets easier to find talent. So don't tell me that it's hard to find talent. It's hard to talk somebody into coming to work for your shitty pay and benefits and location and job and hiring manager. That's really hard. <laughs> now, demographically, in many industrialized countries, we have a major reckoning that's coming in the future. We're early Japan in a lot of aspects, right? Our birth rates are below replacement rate. We suck at immigration. Canada's way better than immigration than in the U.S. But And then we have this weird political thing in the U.S. going on where we're trying to build some stupid wall at our southern border because we're afraid of immigrants coming in and taking all of our jobs. We have more jobs than people. <laughs> we need, if we could have 100,000 immigrants come in the southern border every single month and it would still not fill the jobs that we have open. By the way, the jobs that a lot of those immigrants are willing to come in and work and take the U.S. people don't want to work anyway. So it's, there's this weird, strange political dynamic going on that's hurting us, and it's going to continue to hurt us really bad. I think we have to totally revamp our immigration policies in the U.S., give people a faster way to become citizens, pay taxes, do whatever that looks like, make them legalized. And at the same time, we should be encouraging people to have babies. We should be paying our workers to have babies. Otherwise, 20 years from now, we're in a massive world of hurt.
Yeah, I, I agree that, especially in the U.S. I'm in Canada, so I'm spoiled. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Not as no, you got, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I, ironically, without the immigration, Canada would be in the exact same place as the U.S., but you guys have oh, way sure. better immigration, right? So you're bringing yeah. all kinds of talent in from all over the world. We actively, like, we actively promote immigration, and there's companies that exist to bring in foreign workers, and that was one of the biggest things with the pandemic was the impact on access to foreign workers, and because you're right, like they're coming in and they're doing these jobs that people are complaining, oh, we got immigrants coming in. Okay, great. Do you want to go lug papers all day? No. <laughs> Let's bring these guys in to do that. In the, US, in the U.S., we're so focused on like diversity, DE&I stuff, which again is super important. The one thing we miss like around the world is if you go to Japan, you immediately recognize that there's only Japanese people. If you go to China, there's only Chinese people. Like they have, they have, they have, they have no immigration. And again, they're in a really world of hurt for workers and culturally they have a hard time. And so that, that's my fear in the U.S. is if we don't start opening up our borders for, and just, or just having way, way more liberal immigration policies, we're hurting our companies in a really bad way. Yeah, I know that's a good point. So final topic, and then I'll let you go back to your busy day. Ghosting. It's, I've heard a lot of it as being a problem. And somebody shared a post with me the other day, uh, a recruiter saying, dear candidates, please just, if you make a choice to move on, let us know, blah, blah, blah. And somebody posted, uh, shared it with me and said, I'd like to see your comments on it. And my comment was. Recruiters created the problem. Hard to complain about it now. What's your thoughts? Like, how do we tackle this ghosting issue? Yeah, I don't buy. I understand when someone says, "Hey, it's a recruiters continue. Recruiters create it, and they, and by the way, they continue right to be really crappy around candidate experience and around telling somebody." My thing, and and I've put these policies in place when I was a corporate talent acquisition leader was, if we interview somebody, by the way, when we did a candidate communication survey in 2021. Candidates consider the screen an interview. Like okay. really 87% of candidates said, oh yeah, that initial screen with the recruiter was an interview. So we have to first know that dynamic, right? That philosophy that a candidate has or that perception a candidate has. But my thing was, if we interview a candidate, if we put them in front of a hiring manager, whether virtually, in person, doesn't matter. If we went all, if they invested that time for that interview, we owed personal feedback to them uh, on either a hire or disposition had to happen because what we hear constantly is I was never dispositioned. I got interviewed for this job and then I got ghosted, which is super shitty, right? That should never happen to a person. But I'm also like my grandmother keeps, I have this voice in my head that says like two wrongs don't make a right. Just because one side is really crappy, it doesn't mean you should be crappy in return. And so I, I do not understand a candidate that says, yes, I'm interested in this job. I want to come interview. I'll be there Friday at 9 a.m. And then they never show up. And I think mm. there should be a worldwide database of these crappy candidates that we can put up their picture and their contact information and the date that they ghosted. And then you can look them up and you could say, oh my gosh, Brad ghosted Tim on Friday at 9 a.m. on February 24th. We, he should be, it should be a post. No, I'm like just kidding. Stole. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Because every corporate talent acquisition or an agency person that's been ghosted is, oh my God, that's an amazing site. Please put that up. Here's my credit because card. There, it, 
Yes. Oh, yeah. Like they talk about some talent acquisition technology that would just immediately be amazing and also just be canceled in the same time. But on the other flip side, maybe that site should be the recruiters that ghosted as well. Let's put both up there. And because I, I do think there's part of me when we start talking about like blockchain for recruiting, to me, that is where this all ends. If all of a sudden, as part of your blockchain, it shows that you got fired from a job because you embezzled or that you ghosted on an interview or all these things. All of a sudden now people go, oh crap, I, I, I decided I don't want that interview, but I better, I'm going to cancel. I'm going to get in front of them beforehand. I'm going to tell them that I've decided to, to do some of this. I think companies could do a much better job in terms of continuing to use like SMS and text messaging and other kinds of messaging, WhatsApp, Facebook, whatever you're going to use for whatever part of the world you're in and continue to go out and make it easy for candidates to actually tell you that they no longer are interested, especially on the hourly side, which is, but ghosting's happening at every level. I tell people all the time, they're like, oh, ghosting only happens in like hourly entry level jobs. And I've had people ghost on a $200,000 job. And you're just like, how the heck does that happen? And I've had it happen actually when somebody was actually supposed to start a, a really high executive level job and they decided to accept the counter, but then decided never to go and tell the company that they were going, they potentially going to, or supposed to be going to, that they did this because they were embarrassed or they were too nervous or whatever. I don't care what it is. But I think if we're continuing to message them on a daily basis and just letting them know, hey, we understand that the world and things happen quick. If you've decided that you're not going to show up on Friday, just let us know. We're cool with that. We're not, no hard feelings. We get it. And then what we see is the candidates are much more willing to actually have that conversation and tell somebody. And by the way, they act, they actually show up at a higher rate because they're like, holy crap, like this company really cares about me, you know? Yeah, I, I think oftentimes like we make the hire and then we on, we're on to the next. And so that candidate doesn't hear from you before the start of the the job and, and they get a little nervous and, and freaked out about that or for whatever reason. But if we had constant communication, if they decided to accept a counter offers, that's fine. At least now we have, we have a, a dialogue going and, and they can let you know. And I've seen, I've heard a story of a company that interviewed a guy for a CEO position. He thought he was a shoe in, thought he had it. And then all of a sudden didn't hear anything and didn't hear anything. Accepted a Crazy. VP role with another company Crazy. and a month into the job, they sent him an offer letter for the CEO position three months later. I hadn't talked to him in three months. How do you ghost the CEO for three months that you're trying to recruit? Like, it makes no sense. It's crazy. Yeah. But if we could solve either one of those two problems, we would, we'd be set for life. We'd be rich men. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Tim, I appreciate you spending some time with us today. I always enjoy talking to you and uh, we have to do this a little bit more. Thanks a lot. Definitely. Yeah. Love the conversation. <laughs>